thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Raygun provides full-stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, a product manager drowning in bug reports, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com and get up and running within minutes and dramatically improve the online experiences of your users. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 353. Today, AC and I are going to try and focus on some less viral news, recorded live March 26th, 2020. This episode is brought to you by Nintex. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, would you take it? Because our friends over at Nintex want to give you a gift, the gift of time. Seriously. If you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you definitely should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently, a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products you know and trust, including Nintex Workflow and Forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to sprint it however you want. Test drive the Nintex Process Cloud at Nintex.com. Back to the show. Good morning or afternoon, AC. How you doing? I'm all right. Yourself? Pretty much in the same boat. <laughs> Getting used to our new normal. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Kind of getting there. Yeah. Surviving. Safe and not sick. That's the main thing. <laughs> That's the focus these days, right? <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I'm surprisingly uh, getting through stuff, working with a bunch of remote people. Actually, one thing I've noticed is they're having a tougher time than I am, I think, just because I'm used to working with people that aren't in the office mm. all around the world, whereas some of them are more used to working with people that are local to them sitting in their offices. So mm. I think I'm having a less tough time of it than uh, than some of my other work colleagues, which um, which uh, you know is unfortunate for them, I suppose. But they're getting used. You know, it's more to get used to. So yeah, it's been interesting watching how we're trying to stay away from the the. Uh, by the time people hear this, right, it's like. The news with the pandemic changes, it seems like, every 6, 12, 24 hours. So by the time this podcast yeah. comes out, we're very old news. But um, I'm the kind of person that I have to understand what... I have to understand something to kind of make myself... Make it a little more sane. I finally heard a podcast where they actually mentioned a doctor explained exactly what's so unique about this virus. Like, what it does. Hmm. It's a short story. Do you want to hear it? Or? Well, we're trying to focus on less viral news. Yeah, that's true. I tried not to do that. Sorry, my bad. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we frank. should link to it and people can go listen to it if they, if they yeah. are interested. The Sanjay Gupta episode with experts on experts with Dax Shepard. Uh, it's the, oh, the cool. most recent episode. And it's like a 30-minute episode. And towards the end, Sanjay explains, here's what this does. And huh. he does a better job explaining it than I did. But I was like, oh, okay. Now I'm going to go listen to it today. Yeah. Now I understand why they need the ventilator so badly. But anyway. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, um, things are things are normal. Yeah. I rebuilt from the last time we talked. I completely rebuilt my laptop, which I'm... Oh, it nice. is amazing how much faster everything is when once you do that. Yeah, nice and clean and fresh. Oh, everything's getting cleaned right now, man. <laughs> Even my laptop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I enough. just cleaned the vacuum cleaner last night. <laughs> 
Wow, yeah, that's pretty meta. Actually, weirdly, I had to, yeah, I had to do a similar kind of thing a couple of days ago. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's always good with a fresh install. Things are quicker. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah uh, I need it, to do that with my Mac, my MacBook too. It's been a while. Go to github.com slash andrewconnell slash osx dash install. That's the repo I have. And it's like mm. an entire scripted install of how I do, how I install everything. And from from the start of, it takes about 20 or 30 minutes to collect everything to make sure that you've got what you need before you go pave. Yep. The reinstall takes about, I'd say maybe 30, 45 minutes because it it wipes it and downloads it from the internet. And then... The overall install, config, setup, and everything, it takes a couple hours. The install of everything doesn't take that long, but I'm able to be... The nice thing is, is I've got it set up like almost like a checklist where I have like, here's the here's the core things you got to get installed and up and running right away. Like, get Chrome up installed, so LastPass, but where my licenses and passwords are, and then get Office installed, so OneDrive is syncing mm. a bunch of my settings back down and stuff. And then once that's done, then it's like, all right, you can go be productive and start installing other stuff mm. in the background. Last time we spoke, I, or a time or two before, I told you that I, I was using Edge. I had switched everything over to Edge and was using Edge for my browser. And I'm not doing that anymore. I went back to Chrome. There's yeah, a, so I heard you comment about some issues that you were like, Man, this just sucks. It's I can't speak for those people who are on Windows, but Credge for Mac OS, it's not GA. I mean, it is GA, but it's not GA quality from, from my point of view. Everything runs fine, and then all of a sudden, a couple hours after using it, your CPU is and memory are just absolutely pegged, and your fan's going berserk. I thought it might have been mm-hmm. the browser, and so I after my reinstall, installed Edge, installed Chrome, and before anything else got installed, I just opened up, an instance of Chrome and an instance of Edge, and then fired up the Microsoft homepage on the machine, set my yeah. computer, don't go to sleep, and I walked away for four hours, got a bunch of yard work done, came back, and Edge was taking up over 300% of my CPU and had a two-gig footprint, where Chrome was still less than 500 megs, which is still ridiculous, but it was less than 500 megs, and it wasn't taking hardly any CPU, even the little Chrome helper CPU um, processes. Curious. It looks like Edge has got a horrible leak to it. And then this, the settings syncing, when you have an Azure AD account on macOS, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, you have to, it tells you, I mean, they're like, oh no, we've, we fixed it. It's fixed. And there's this one thread in tech community and all these people are like, nope, it's not fixed. No. It doesn't work. Go, no, no, we did fix it. I'm like, I'm showing you my site. There's a, there's a page you can go to and it shows not supported or doesn't work right. Not, not, it doesn't say not supported. It says disabled, like no sync URL provided or something like that. And it's just curious. Chrome and Apple stuff just works, but Microsoft stuff doesn't always just work. There's so many freaking settings and tinkering stuff because all this enterprise crap that drives you Well, you've got to hold your mouth just right and you've got to poke your tongue west when the wind's blowing from the north and then it just works perfect. Man, that's frustrating. It is, but I mean... It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. At least you get... Yeah, you can move back. Fair enough. I'm back on Chrome. Back on Chrome. Lost some bookmarks, but I'm okay again. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but feeling fresh with a fresh pave. I like it. I yes. Like it. Yes. Hey, why don't we get into some news and the meat and potatoes of the show? Sounds good to me. Let's do it. This episode is sponsored by Avpoint. If you like the cloud show, you will love the Shift Happens podcast with Microsoft MVP and Regional Director Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, 
Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation projects. He uncovers the players, organisational hurdles and last-minute surprises that inevitably arise when ambitious people try to impact their workplace. Season 1 features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines and other industry leaders. Go to www.avpoint.com forward slash blog forward slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, hashtag shift happens, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. And now back to the show. All right, AC, we thought, you know, we'll try to focus on less viral news. It's tough when the world's in chaos, right? Hmm. But there is other stuff going on. And so um, we thought we'd touch on some of the news and goings on this past week week or so out there in the cloud world. And we got some news around Microsoft stuff, AWS, but a SharePoint, Azure, Office 365, and so on. So why don't we dive into some of those things? Cool. Sounds good to me. You want to start? You want me to start? Speaking of edge. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this. There was an article that came out that there was some new privacy test where Edge came dead last in a study about privacy. And this really piqued my interest because of all of the things Microsoft is saying that uh, you, why you should use Edge, privacy is one of the top of the list, right? And and so this really piqued my interest about what the hell was happening or going on. And so I, I read the report or read the article about the report, I should say, and you can actually link off to the report. But it boils down to one thing in particular that I can find. And that one thing is that as part of the telemetry usage that Microsoft collects from Edge that gets sent to Microsoft, there is a sort of immutable device identifier that gets sent. Now, you can opt out of that stuff being sent, and you can also go and delete your diagnostics data from Microsoft service. If you've, if you've had it on and you use it for a while and then you want to get out, you can opt out and you can delete that data. They took offense, I suppose, or they took issue with the fact that this thing is this immutable device ID and it can be used to tie your activity together if you're Microsoft and look at look at your history. I think that's interesting finding that sort of telemetry and usage data that Microsoft collects, not PII data, it's a, it's a device ID, plus it does collect your browsing history, I think, because it is part of the telemetry. But the fact that it can't tie it to a person, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure I call that a privacy issue, especially if you can turn it off and delete your data. Yeah, I think that people, I understand what you're saying, and I understand the article, I understand what the article is saying, I understand their point of view, mm-hmm. and I understand why Microsoft is taking exception to it, because they're like, yeah, but you can delete the data. I think it's, if it's not as obvious which I just went through the install mm. and I don't recall a way just to, when it asked right off the bat saying, can we collect your stuff? This is something, Yeah, I see. to me, it sure seemed like I had to I had to know this was going on and I had to go back and actually manually opt out of it. It's not like a checkbox that's checked by default and you just click through it. It's, right. okay, you install. No, you don't want that? Oh, well, let me go back and let me actually change all that stuff for you. It is interesting so- because their Microsoft, issue is really opt in. Uh, sorry, opt out. Their issue is opt out. Yeah, they're like, we give yeah. you a way to opt out. We make it very easy. Like, yeah, but it's not very obvious that the stuff is going on. So, to gotcha. a technical person, there, to a technical person and somebody who's concerned about privacy and knows how to do this stuff, they know what to be looking for, and it may be obvious to those people. But to the lay person, to the general end user, it's not. 
There was a similar issue with this related to Chrome just recently about they had a similar thing where you could actually track who a specific person was. And it was in, or they, they, it was added to the Chromium project and it was going to ultimately flow into all of them. And there was a big deal where they just, where people started squawking about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it actually, I don't know if it actually made it into Chrome or if they held back on it. The privacy stuff, I wonder how much of this is like the outrage culture where I feel like we're all being, people are so conditioned now that you should be outraged if they're tracking stuff about any kind mm-hmm. of data is being tracked. But I wonder if you asked, everybody and just saying, how do you really care about, how much do you really care about this? If I can't tie data and stuff that you're doing, if I can't tie it to you and I just need behavior to be able to survey stuff, like for example, it's the equivalent of sitting at the top of a building at a popular intersection and writing down the behavior of people crossing the street and drivers driving by and stuff. And I can't tie any of that data to any, to the guy in the red shirt. I can't tie it to John Doe, yeah. but I can tie it to a guy in a red shirt. I mean, do you really care someone is even checking that stuff? And I think, and I, I wonder how many people are saying, yes, I do care because they hear other people saying it. And so they think they're supposed to care. So they're saying, yes, I care. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to know. That's a good analogy because you see those people counting, you know, you see, see them on street corners or whatever, counting traffic or, or behavior or whatever they're marking against. And nobody seems to have issue with that. Are, do these people have the same issue when you have, I don't, we do it at least in Florida. I would guess the same technology used everywhere when they're tracking traffic and they will put like that little yeah, air yeah, pressure the, tube across the thing. They'll staple on both sides. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, what am I going to do? Am I going to drive, drive over this thing, stop my car, come out, go talk to the guy and go like, don't track me. I mean, that, seriously, that's your bull. I mean, that, yeah. does it matter? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't know. I, yeah. I think it's just a matter of trust. It's like, do you trust that they're not? That it's not personally identifiable and that sort of thing. You've got to trust the person. You know, so there, there's some software where where it asks you, "Do you want to send telemetry?" And I'll be like, "No," nope, because mm-hmm. I just don't. I just don't uh, feel like I trust that company to that level. You know, there was a thing that came out too. We don't have this in the show notes. I, have to, I can dig it up if you want to put it in there. But Apple did the same thing yesterday. I think it was. They had a blog post that came out yesterday or two days ago. It was mostly from about WebKit, and it was how mm. Apple's taking a very aggressive approach against third-party cookies. But one of the other things they're doing as well with WebKit is any data written to persistent storage in the browser, regardless, it will be purged set within se- um, after seven days. Hmm. So hmm. what everyone flipped out about, they're like, Apple is now using privacy as a guise to force people to put stuff in the app store instead of building web apps that can be installed as a progressive web mm. app, a PWA, like what Google's been pushing. Because the way that those apps are storing their data is in local storage. And if you effectively delete my local storage seven days after I've written to it, even if I go back and rewrite to it, it's mm. there's no way I can do offline storage with something in the browser. So it requires gotcha. an installable app, which means, oh, you got to use the app store. And so it's... Does anybody a big, use Safari anyway? Yeah. Percentage-wise, the numbers show no. Mm. But I'm always surprised when you look around and people I know that are on a Mac and they're using Safari, you just kind of observe what they're using. It's like, why are you using that? And they're like, because that's my browser. It's on my on my computer. Just comes with it. It's mm. like, you know, there's other options. Like, yeah, yeah, but this just works. Like, you know, I get, <laughs> I, I totally get that mentality, but I'm just like, yeah, okay, yeah, interesting. So that's, yes, Edge coming under fire for flunking some privacy tests. 
Bum, bum. There's another bit of news here that apparently Apple is admitting that Microsoft is right. <laughs> I don't think... I'm not so sure this is the way it would go, though. <laughs> no, it's a pretty clickbaity title, I think. It really but, is. Uh, but it is. I find this really interesting. It is. When the iPad first comes out, they were... And Steve Jobs was adamant. No pen, no pen, no pen, no pen. And then finally... Yeah. A keyboard comes out. All these third parties come out with keyboards, and then finally Apple comes out with a keyboard. A little, they call it the Folio keyboard. Yeah. And it works. I've got it for my iPad. It works fine. It's not a replacement to a, a laptop. It is an alternative. I wouldn't say a replacement, but it's a good alternative. The news this week was that Apple is releasing, they announced new tablets, new um, iPads, which are pretty impressive, but or they're incrementally impressive. But the big news, I think, are is a new keyboard that they're announcing or they announced. Now this, this is interesting to me, but Mm. the part that kicks off this article is that the new keyboard, it's got a very Microsoft surface feel to it. It's Mm. got, doesn't have those soft keys. It's got a real, what they call the magic keys. So it's like a magic keyboard kind of keys. And it's also got a trackpad Mm. Mm. and it looks a lot like the surface keyboard. Now, there is another part that's pretty cool. It's got a hard hinge, so it can actually raise the laptop, the screen up a little bit, yeah. which is awesome. And of course, it's it's the you know classic Apple expensive. I think it's three hundred thirty bucks if you have the twelve inch iPad. But I got the twelve inch for the keyboard for the keyboard. Yeah, three hundred and how much? Three twenty nine. I think it is three hundred bucks for a keyboard. Yeah, and people will buy it. And actually, I'm interested. I'm definitely Good. interested in. Good but grief. it's yeah. But they've got and they the latest version of iOS is much better when it comes to sorry the latest version of iPad OS. 13.4 is much better if you have like an external mouse or an external trackpad. And mm. those were that update was released in anticipation of this keyboard. I've got a magic mouse that I've paired that I pair with my iPad with iPad OS 13. It's this latest update makes it much, much better. So it's great if you're trying to do precision stuff. Mm, I see. So I'm a fan. Yeah. I find but, it fascinating that these worlds have come together, right? Mm. That you know, Microsoft has had a detachable device for, well, a really long time, like 2012 or something, right? Mm-hmm. Their position has been you need a keyboard and mouse to be productive, right? Mm-hmm. And that you're never going to be able to do the same stuff with just a finger, right? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I guess it depends on the thing you're trying to do. But anyway, their point has always been for high productivity scenarios, you need a keyboard and mouse still. Apple's position was you're doing it wrong, effectively, right? You're holding mm-hmm. it wrong or you're doing it wrong, right? Their point has been right from the beginning that, or Tim Cook has come out and said, Anything can be forced to converge, but the problem is that products are about trade-offs. You begin to make trade-offs to the point where what you have left doesn't please anyone, right? Yeah. So their whole thing was like, you can't just smash stuff together and expect it to work. But now they, you know, they're coming around to the fact that iPad Pros are a productivity machine, mm-hmm. right? That you can use them instead of a laptop. Mm-hmm. And yeah. really, what's the difference between an iPad Pro and a laptop now? I mean, they look the same. They've got a keyboard and a pen and a mouse, like it's a surface. Well, it's detachable. Still is very much a tablet compared to, to me, it's still very much a tablet compared to a laptop. Now, a majority of people that are out there could get by just fine with having just an iPad. I pushed my dad off of a laptop and got him an iPad. My tech support calls have plummeted, which are big fan of that. Oh, no, no. I mean, I, I get like, I get that part, but like for all intents and purposes, they're the same thing now. Yeah. What's the difference between a Surface Book and an iPad Pro with a keyboard and mouse. Oh, it, the OS. That's it. Exactly. 
yeah. DOS, which I guess that's what I was trying to get to. I find saving files and working with files to be a hell of a lot easier on a laptop. But outside of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. They've, it's straight like these two worlds. They've come from polar opposites and they've started to mm-hmm. mesh in the middle. I don't know. I mean, Apple, have, Apple do a good job of their, at least I think, of iPad. And I love mine. Mm-hmm. I have a keyboard for mine as well. I don't know if I'll go this far, but because I don't use it as my primary device. But anyway, I'd like to get this and play with it. This is one of those things I usually would go. I'd go ahead and go to the store and try it out. Now I think I'm going to go yeah. ahead and order it and then send yeah. it back because I'm not, I'm not yeah. eager to go to the store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, stay safe. Yeah. yeah. No, so I, I just find it fascinating that the worlds have collided, and I don't think it's Apple admitting defeat. I think, well, maybe privately, certainly not publicly. But uh, they're certainly not coming out and said Microsoft had it right. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't think the article is good. Is a good title. I don't know if it's Microsoft. Is Apple saying that they were wrong? Microsoft was right. I think it's Apple saying people are asking for this and a better keyboard, better experience. And yeah, I'd much rather. I would much rather pull my iPad out if I'm anywhere but my desk. If I'm at a conference, if I'm on a plane, if I'm. Oh, yeah. I take my iPad upstairs, downstairs with me all, every day, and I'm on my iPad much more when I'm not sitting directly at my desk. I'm on my iPad much, much more. I don't take my laptop yeah. around with me. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. All right, moving right along. There's a website called foldingathome.org. Have you heard about this? I haven't. It's kind of like, for us oldies, it's kind of like the SETI project. Oh, okay. Now I know what it is. Except for protein folding, mm. right? So you you subscribe to this thing. And it download, or you can download a client and have it run on your PC while it's idle. And you can control whether it uses your GPU or CPU or how much. And there's a whole bunch of settings involved and all that. But um, you know, it downloads problems to solve and goes and goes does all of that math and then uploads the results. And um, apparently, they have had a huge increase in responses since COVID 19s started to the point where. A lot of machines are waiting for new math to go solve, and once you've done it, like the up, like waiting to upload takes quite a while apparently at the moment. And uh, anyway, so you can form teams and you can you know like all of that stuff with SETI and upload your results. And there's a leaderboard and stats and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I mean, it's for the idea is that they're good at they're trying to understand better the process of folding proteins, which is sort of involved in. A uh, variety of uh, diseases and and issues and things like that, and trying to understand them more. And they just need a bunch of computing power to do that. So uh, you can participate if you like. I read something yesterday where like these kind of things and trying to find. I'm staying away from the virus thing, but it is a bit of a topic. But they're because of what's going on, mm. and they're trying. And so many people, it's such on a global scale, and so many people have contracted it that trying to find a to work on a on a vaccine is going a little bit easier because they're able to run so many simultaneous tests at the exact same time. They have no shortage of, we have an idea, let's try this. We have an idea, let's try this. And they have no looking at slicing and dicing of the data. It's like data is not the problem right now, <laughs> sadly. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool though that you can get involved and if you want and use some of your spare cycles. Of course, you'll end up using more power and all that sort of stuff, obviously, because you're machine will be running uh, potentially at full noise while you're not using it, mind you. So yeah, more watts and all that sort of stuff, but uh, it's your way to contribute if you like. We should go back. We should, I wonder if there's a way that you can put it on a Raspberry Pi and you could do our Kubernetes pod and then go get that Turing, P- Turing Pi that I talked about last week, put it on a little cluster. Yeah, perhaps. 
perhaps, or uh, or use all of your Azure credits. There you go. <laughs> do do I've done some that. folding at home. Huh? <laughs> I've done that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, did you hear the, the you know the SharePoint conference? No, no. Did what's you know? that? Never heard well, of it. That's okay. It's not <laughs> happening. Yeah. So yeah, SharePoint yeah, conference. I've heard of it. <laughs> like so many other conferences these days, has been punted. This one is not canceled. Instead, mm. they've postponed it. It's a weird. It's a weird decision to call it this. I guess it all depends on how you want to market it. I guess postponing it is you have another date for it. Although the date is March 2021, so they just punted it like 10 months. So I'm yeah. not really sure if that's canceled. But canceled this year. Can't, it's on. We canceled year. the 2020 version. We're going to do one in 2021. No, I think they probably didn't cancel it because otherwise they have to refund everybody. Yeah. So postponing it is. Yeah. But mm. what I'm curious to find out. I mean, they haven't said anything about to the speakers about sessions or any of that kind of stuff. But I mean, I would imagine you'd want to just scrap the entire decision tree of what you're going to do for sessions and just say, yeah, let's Start resubmit and, because the yeah. years, it's going to be totally different. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I don't, It wouldn't make sense just to keep the same content necessarily. I'm sure some of it will still be relevant, but there'll, there'll be a bunch of new stuff too. What we saw, like Build has already gone, Build went 100% virtual, Inspire got full on canceled. Yes, that's a we'll big see. one. Yeah, we'll that's see if Ignite, big one. Yeah. is Ignite going to continue to happen as is? Yeah. You know, too early to call on that one, but yeah, they haven't announced any changes yet. I suspect it'll be hybrid. You think? I think. Yeah, I think it might be late enough in the year that they'll keep. They'll plan on unless it continues to either get a lot worse or or stays stays bad. I think they'll keep it, but they'll they'll offer a hybrid option because I guarantee there'll be well, not a guarantee. That's a hundred percent right. I strongly believe. There'll be lots of people who will not want to travel regardless. So, yeah. well, uh, they'll to offer a, a virtual to a option. crowd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to exactly. a very crowded place. I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you don't know. I mean, somebody was asking me that the other day. Are you are you going to go to Ignite? I'm like, it's on my calendar right now, but yeah. I'm not booking any travel. I'm not booking any flights. No, I, I have. Um, I think I have got flights. I can't remember actually. Anyway, yeah, SPC did the right thing. Like. I'm surprised it took as long as it did. Mm-hmm. Postponed a year, close to a year, something like that. Not a huge event, but not, you know, drew people from all over the world and the travel restrictions and all that sort of stuff that are in. So it mm-hmm. couldn't have worked regardless if they wanted to go ahead or not. Yeah. I mean, it's not just them. It's SharePoint Fest in DC was going to happen in April. That They had the same issue. So I get, you know, the part that's really frustrating about all these, I feel sorry for the events because the part that's frustrating about this is that these companies that are running these events, it's not normally a huge company that's doing it. It's usually yeah. a small business that's doing it or an events company, which is relatively a small company. Mm-hmm. And you got, you got a lot of temporary staffers that come in and help and manage the or staff the event. But yep. they have contracts with these different venues and the hotels and the hotels don't want to budge until the government says, nope, you can't have more than 10 people or more than 50 people. Yeah. So otherwise, they're going to be on the hook for these huge room blocks that they've guaranteed and the hotels don't want them to say no because they're going to lose their money. So I, I was talking to somebody and they were they were they were in the exact same position. And the conference is like the hotel's like, yeah, sorry, you know, you're guaranteed you have to pay this. Uh, we're not going to let you switch. They go, that's okay. I just have this business for running this conference, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and declare bankruptcy, and you won't get any your money. And they're like, we are more than happy to work with you now on trying to find an alternative date for when we can reschedule this. Right? Do you want the event to happen in the future? Because yeah, otherwise. You won't get nothing at all. Yeah. No, it is very unfortunate. I mean, it, it, yeah, they're, they're the most impacted, at least in our industry, the events that are 
not going to happen. Okay, in some news around AWS, I just thought we'd touch on this periodically. We'll come, we'll come back to this every now and again. But the Jedi contract that Microsoft won, that Amazon disputed or appealed or something like that, has gone back to court. And now Amazon are arguing that the terms of the proposed review also need to be argued. (laughs) (laughs) And that based on the terms of the review that they would only succeed at giving Microsoft a do-over. So now they're arguing that the terms of the the review are not fair either. So mm, no short resolution to this, I suspect. And... uh, It'll go on. The impact of this is is interesting. I know I've, I've talked to a couple of people I know at Microsoft, and I didn't realize that once this was signed, how fast work started inside Microsoft, and how many engineering teams were like, "Drop everything you're doing. You've got to go do these things to meet this these requirements." And to now have that knee jerk reaction to go, "All right, everybody, stop!" Because now the the whole contract's in question. I mean that it's. That's got to be frustrating as hell. I think they started the work before they won it. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. And I don't think they've stopped the work. <laughs> I'm sure it happens from team to team. It'd be a bit different and all of that. But, you know, I think they're expecting to win this. You know, and if they wait, they won't be able to fulfill their terms of the contract if they don't get the work that they need to get done done. So, I don't know, there's some probably some fine balance of how much do you do ahead of time and all of that. But, you know, you want to win the deal, so you've got to have the stuff ready. Hey, uh, let's get to some more news after a short break. This podcast is brought to you by ShareGate. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now we've all moved to the cloud. Like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-service environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, aka Sprawl. That's why the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group's governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. They're super simple to use. In-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, aka no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it free for 30 days at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show. And we're back. All right, AC, let's get on to some Azure and Office 365 news. In Azure news, actually, there is a new extension for Visual Studio Code, or an updated extension, I believe, for doing deployment to Azure. So for things like, uh, for basically taking your project and, and deploying it, getting it into Azure, right? Doing it from uh, the add-in you can go, or the the extension you can go get from the Visual Studio Marketplace, and go deploy. And so you can do stuff like you know if you're building a Node application, for example, pushing stuff up into Azure App Service or uh, functions and things like that. Same with Kubernetes as well. So they've got good Kubernetes integration. So a little nice productivity boost for devs using Visual Studio Code and some new. Goodies there. Sweet. Yeah. I've got a, a link here from the uh, Microsoft Azure Artificial Intelligence blog, but it's mostly focused around Outlook. And it talks about how Azure Machine Learning powers those suggested replies that we have in Outlook. Now, I don't know if you're, do you get those in Word? Uh, sorry, in Windows? I don't get those in, I only get those in the web client. 
I don't get yes, those on macOS. I've only seen them in the web client. Yeah. Okay. If you try using, or it actually might even be on mobile, but the when you go to respond to someone who sent you a, an email, there's like these suggested responses. So like there's one here, it's called project up or the title of the email was project update. And the person said, just checking when you'd like for us to review your the presentation, can we meet this week? And the suggested responses are A, thanks for your help. B, let me get back to you on that. Or C, schedule a meeting. And schedule a meeting goes straight to creating a calendar invite. Hmm. The blog post explains how they use Azure ML to be able to do that, to be able to do like natural language query parse, um, parsing and looking at the all the different emails and figuring out what people are really trying to do and how it's learned and being able to suggest different things. It's pretty interesting. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool being able to smash those two things together in Outlook. I've been using Cortana's like calendar dot, or they call it Cortana, but it's really calendar.help, which is sort of Microsoft's meeting scheduling solution. I imagine it uses similar kinds of stuff behind the scenes to do NLP and things like that. But it's actually really good. Like, I quite like it. Works all right until it doesn't. <laughs> until it does. And then it just falls over yeah. on itself. But you know, I work with people in all sorts of different time zones and all sorts of things like that. And it's often really hard to figure out schedules and free busy time and all that. So having something automated to do it has worked pretty, pretty well. Mm. Okay. I have got a link to stuff here that I really hope matters to somebody. It doesn't matter to me at all. And I really don't understand any of it other than to say that Azure government secret, which is like the super secret squirrel version of Azure, right, has passed a bunch of accreditations with acronyms and numbers and things I don't understand. <laughs> DOD IL-6 ICD-503 for IAS and PAS. So my understanding is that there's, you know, there's, there's Azure government cloud or G cloud or whatever they call it, whatever the term, the right term is these days. And you can do certain workloads there, but then there's a, then there's this, I think I've got this right. There's the sort of more secret squirrel version, which is deemed okay to use for certain workloads with, I don't know what the right term is, I guess, particular types of secret categorization by the government, right? So like, for secret and top secret workloads and stuff like that. I've never had anything to do with it, so I really don't know much about it. But I don't know how AWS stacks up against this, but you know, Azure are adding more accreditations and more certifications and things like that to make it obviously pretty achievable. And I wonder if this is tied to the, DO, uh, the, the JEDI project as well being able to handle these kinds of workloads. So they've gone and done the work to get this stuff done. I wonder what the, if you, if someone, in, I'm sure somebody has done this, but I wonder what it would look like to stack up these different certifications and the level of how between medical certification, financial certification, like secret or military or that kind of stuff, intelligence certifications. I wonder if someone had done that between the three major public clouds and the C where mm. like what the delta is between each one like everybody's got this and everybody's got this but only this one has this and only this one doesn't have what these other two have and there's just there's so many different certifications out there it's uh i don't know which ones are what are the important ones what are the ones that those those different verticals are interested in yeah for sure i if i was to put money on it without really knowing anything about it i'd say azure stacks up better than aws that was where I put money. It seems like it. It seems. I mean, that's what they keep touting. That I've never seen like a apples to apples comparison type of thing. Yeah, or like a who's yeah. done, done a fact check. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Snopes.com of the cloud world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
I've got something here in the Office 365 world. So Microsoft Graph is announcing that they can now do change notifications for Microsoft Teams messages, which mm. now you can subscribe to be notified when messages are posted, basically listening yeah. for Teams messages in near real time. Yeah, instead of getting a, well, they don't want to call it a webhook, but yes. Why? Everybody else does. I, I keep asking them that. I mean, I, I talked, I, there's a, you know, we got friends on the graph team and I'm like, why do you guys call it change notifications? They're called webhooks. They go, well, yeah, most people know what webhooks are. I'm like, no, every developer Everybody knows, knows what, what that is. is. A lot of people we talk to, I'm like, who the hell did you talk to? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's nice because you don't have to poll for message updates. You can subscribe for the webhook and get notified when there's new things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bots can now listen for messages and not just for when they're at mentioned, but you can watch an entire channel mm-hmm. or watch a conversation. Or what is it called? Not conversation now. Now it's called chat, That the chat tab. Oh, yeah. That's been announced. That is in the, it is now available in the beta endpoint. And the blog post we have here will point to the, the blog post where they announced it. Cool. If you are a Azure dedicated host user, which means, so dedicated hosts in Azure give you the ability to get a whole machine, right? So you're only on, you're the only one. It's not a multi-tenant, it's single-tenant machine, virtual machine, right? Did that make sense? Yes. Yeah, okay. So if you just want your piece of tin, now you've had, you've had that capability in Azure for some time. Now the ability uh, that they're giving you is, is the ability to reserve those at a discount. So you can ahead of time go sign up for dedicated hosts and uh, go reserve hosts and they'll give you certain pricing tier discounts on doing that ahead of time. So it's another way to save money. Much like the VM reservations that we've had for some time, you can go and buy a certain number of reservations and get a discount on those. Now you can do it with Azure dedicated hosts as well. Uh, for all those different sorts of skews and bits and bobs to go save more moolah, hmm. if you do it right. If you need them, you'll save money. If you don't need them, you're not really saving money. <laughs> True. Last bit of news I have here. It's an epic one, so I'm not going to go. It's an epically long one, so I'm not going. But I'm not going to do the long part. I'm going to just point to it. The March 2020 update for the SharePoint PMP community update has been published. It was published on March the 10th. This basically lists out all of the people that are involved with PNP, all of the different projects that are out there, counters to how many people are forking and starring the different repos and the different videos. It's a great blog post that the PNP team does. It has got to take more than a day to pull all this stuff together and to pull all these links and all the stats. I mean, it's just it's incredible. It's like a financial report every time you when you see one of these and see all the stuff that comes out for it. So it's a great place to go find out what's going on. There's yeah. a lot to it. There's I a think lot. Was, they're also talking now about it not being just a SharePoint project, but it's expanding more into the Microsoft 365 world as well for PMP. Yeah. So we're trying. So disclaimer, I guess I'm I'm part of the PMP team, and the effort is to make it more of a Microsoft 365 thing. They've opened it up to a lot of additional people to get involved. They are now, it's more delegation of projects so that if, even if there's like an end user thing, then somebody from the community owns the end user documentation for that section. It's not just about developer stuff. There's a whole slew of stuff that's there. And in fact, it's almost to the point where it's just, it's so damn big that it's hard to kind of figure out what's there. That's why this mm-hmm. post does a pretty good job with it. One of the biggest changes they made recently was not just adding a bunch of more people, but the Teams Yeoman Generator has switched from being, it was originally a project, um, pet project by Wichter Whelan. 
it then went over to, I think it, it then went over to Office Dev, and now it's over and under a PNP as well. So yeah, man, this newsletter must take an eternity to put together. I think Vesta does. It's great, it's crazy. Sort of a great dictionary, or uh, maybe not dictionary. That's not the right word. I don't know table of contents for everything you might want in PNP. Yeah, it's got a small scroll bar. It's a centimeter scroll bar. How's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Wow, you used metric, dude. I, well, yeah, well, because an inch was too big. What you mean, like six thirty sevenths of an inch? <laughs> I don't even know what. I don't even understand. You know, bits of an inch, like the whole. I don't know, thirty seconds and blah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I grew up with imperial, and once you were, I guess, exposed is the right way to look at it to metric. It, metric just makes more sense to me. Yeah. Tens are easy. <laughs> they really are. They really are. Tens like one thirty second and one sixteenth. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. We just said like two millimeters. Can... It is calendars and time time zones are in trying to set up a meeting between multiple people. It is something that is so predictable. Yet it, every time I sit down to do it, I always have to wrap my brain. And I've got don't send me, don't tweet me, and don't send me different tools that you use and stuff because I've got stuff that works. It is still just a pain in the ass of trying to pull up a couple different calendars and looking at two or three people's calendars. Like, am I looking at it when we all, is it my time zone when we all can meet or is it? Yeah. You know what blows my mind to this day? There's still no one central source of free busy info Mm -hmm. that all the tools use, right? So like to this day, you don't really know, like even between Office 365 customers, they can't share free, well, they can, but it's a whole bunch of work to share free busy, right? So it's like, when I want to set up a meeting with you right now, if I didn't know your calendar URL or whatever that you publish for, you know, for free busy stuff, there's no way my Outlook client knows, can't be smart about scheduling a meeting with you because I've got to ask you when, when do you want to do this and all that? Then you've got time zones and more than two people, it starts getting out of hand. How come there's not one central place where free busy info gets published that everybody can consume from and your tool of choice can use smart suggestions on when might be good times to meet. It still blows my mind. Like an ask like between Gmail, between iCloud, between right. Office 365 right. and Outlook.com, between like those mm-hmm. big guys, right? how is it that you can't, I can't just say, I have to ask you to open that information up to me, but instead it would be nicer if I could say request access to CJ, to CJ's free busy. Yeah. And then how much you want to share with me? You want to share me everything? You just want to share me, share with me your working hours and stuff from this category or don't show me the details of it. Yeah, exactly. Ridiculous. Anyway, now I think I've got a pick. So we could finish the show with a quick pick. How about that? I have a pick. I found a pick just so that I'm not pickless. I'm really glad to hear you're not pickless. Okay. We'll be right back. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. Okay, AC. I'm excited about this pick because you were, you were a bit pickless earlier on and a bit concerned about that. So um, I'm looking forward to this one. What do you got for us this week? I'm normally not pickless, but in this case here, it's just a little pick. I had to find something so that I wouldn't be completely pickless. Fair. So I found this link. Uh, it's a guy that is starting to create a, a series here. It's called the Router Wars. We have the Cloud Wars. He has the Router Wars. So what Ooh. he has done 
is he's taking the router that is provided to him by his ISP and he is poking the hell out of it. So he's got his specific router is a Huawei. I never can say that word right, but the Chinese Huawei. company there based Huawei. 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 Huawei? Is that right? Huawei. Huawei. Okay, it's a Huawei router. And I'm trying. I'm trying. No, it's good. It's good. I think, yeah. And uh, like, and he SSH'd into it and started picking it apart and seeing all the different pieces associated with it and seeing how, is it using SSH or open SSH? How is it secured? What parts are open by default? Like FTP, SSH, HTTP, HTTPS, and IPP are all open. Yeah. So it's just this series of how he's going. He's he's starting a series of poking apart the different routers and what we can, what you can see. I don't think it's anything revolutionary, but I couldn't show up to a show and not be, have a pick. Sure, no, that's kind of interesting because, I mean, I've never trusted these routers that ISPs give you. Right, they do all sorts of weird stuff to them sometimes that they either don't perform very well, or you wonder what the hell they're doing, or they're suddenly like acting as like free Wi-Fi gateways for cell networks and stuff if you don't watch out. There's all sorts of bizarre stuff they do with them. I've never trusted them, so I don't use one. I provide my own. I do use one from AT&T, but I don't have any of the protection stuff turned on to it. Mm. I'm right on the other side of it. I've got like a gateway, and I'm like, all right, everything is locked down from there. The gateway yeah. controls all. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing to do. It, but it is interesting seeing like this guy digs in and, and looks at what's running on it and the traffic between the two. He puts a looks like he puts his laptop between the ISP and the and the device as well, so he can start sort of sniffing what's going back and forth and seeing uh, seeing what's going on. So that's pretty pretty interesting. I I like it. Good pick. He goes as far as to do the whole uh, what's it called uh, uh, using Wireshark to see all to see the packets going back and forth, showing you how to do that. So. It's interesting. Yeah. I've got something completely different this week. It is a guy called Cavs911. It's not Shane Young or <laughs> it's the, from she, the old SharePoint 911 or now Power, Power Apps 911. I'm not sure what he calls it. Yes, this is a YouTube channel of this guy, a British guy, I think, who is rebuilding and tearing down his old 1969 911T Porsche and He's rebuilding his engine himself. He's restoring this car. And there's one thing I really wish I knew more about, and that was cars, like the mechanical engineering of cars. I'm fascinated by cars. I love cars. But if you told me to pull an engine apart and put it back together, it it terrifies me just thinking about it. Yeah. Like, I just don't know enough. I mean, I know the general concepts of how it all works, and I know what a carburetor is, (laughs) and an alternator and all that sort of stuff. I know what they do, but just the complexity of the machine, I don't get. So I've been watching his engine rebuild. It's a five-part engine rebuild of his videos. And um, I've just found it really fascinating. And it's one of those engines that's not that complicated. It's not a modern engine, right? So it's it's pretty straightforward. But it's um, I just found it really fascinating. And I thought others might as well. This is really cool. Yeah. He's, he's actually a really good teacher. I think you should watch some of his videos too. Not because you're not, but because I just really liked his... <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love the disclaimer. I, did I, didn't go- I wasn't even going with that. But I- <laughs> he's a really good... Uh, he's actually, I don't know what he does in real, in real life with a, for a real job, I suppose. But for his hobby, he's actually really good ex- at explaining what he's doing and why and 
how it all works and what is you know the instructions. I, I think it's really clear, at least for a layman like myself. Mm-hmm. When it comes to this stuff, I've got no clue. Similar to like what I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I do better when I understand something and mm. it doesn't, mm. stuff isn't all that complicated or you have a much better appreciation for what something is once you see the parts that are there. And I love this stuff. Like, how does this work? How do, I need to understand how this works. It's not as intimidating on, on to fix stuff. Something like this on an engine, I'm with you. I would like to understand more of like building an engine, watching somebody put an engine together. I understand from a much higher level, how all this stuff works. But like with a computer, right? We understand, you and I understand how it works. We built them, we built computers before, but the part I haven't built is, I understand how a CPU works, but I haven't built a motherboard. You buy a motherboard, you put all the pieces onto it. Sure, but, sure. And now, you know, when you understand what, how a PCB is set up and you can understand all the different pieces and stuff and you can look a little bit closer, like, I understand what this stuff does, but I have more of an appreciation for the people who actually do this stuff. So, yeah, totally. CPU designers, they're the weirdos. It's they're that's the real, fascinating. They've got to be very special people. <laughs> those, are, <laughs> those folks have a very unique job, I suppose, for want of a better word. Pit, I'd love man. to know what goes into them and how long it takes and what's involved. It's something, I mean, I know how CPU works and, and the, you know, the rough uh, sort of outline of what's in a CPU and all that sort of stuff, but just where do you begin? You know, it's a huge, it must be. It's a huge project. You see something like this come up. So this is cool. But you see like something pops up in the news and then they everyone, if that's the new thing, then everyone kind of goes and deep, d- dives deep into what that topic is. And the experts get on the news and they talk about it on, you know, from a higher level so the lay person can understand it. And you go find a link where they're like, well, let's talk about the details of what this thing is. And they start peeling yeah. back the onion and getting real detailed about it. It's like, and it just gets, it's fascinating. Ah, it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah. To me, it is. I think it's great. Anyway, so there's a bunch of videos about tearing down this guy's 911T and putting it back together. I'm going to subscribe to this and start watching. All right, AC, thanks for another great week. Stay safe. We will catch you next week. Yeah, man, stay safe. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode, as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.